How big of a role does diet play in perhaps prevention and even slowing decline? A lot of these cohort studies have found the link between different food groups, different nutrients, and also with different dietary patterns like Mayan diet, Mediterranean diet, the DASH diet, how they correlate with cognitive and motor decline. So I would say we do have currently good observational studies indicating that there is an association between what we eat and our cognitive and motor behavior in older age. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us. This is episode 57 from season four, number 252 overall. And today we are going to be talking about not just Alzheimer's disease, but for what I believe is the first time here on the exam room, we're also going to be talking about Parkinson's disease. And so today I'm going to be joined by a woman who is devoting her career to teaching and researching both of them. And she is a nutritional epidemiologist at Rush Alzheimer's Disease Center, as well as an assistant professor in internal medicine at the Department of Clinical Nutrition at Rush. Dr. Pooja Agarwal. She is here today, and she will be looking at the cognitive and motor decline that those living with Alzheimer's and Parkinson's will experience. How much of a role does nutrition play, though, in preventing that decline, in slowing that decline? We're going to be looking at a number of diets, putting them head to head and seeing what effect they may have had. And we'll get her opinion by the way, as to whether fruits or vegetables might have a bigger impact on these diseases. And then coming up after the interview with Dr. Agarwal, I will have details on an exciting new study that shows a change in diet can reduce hot flashes by more than 80%. Yeah, more than 80%. Brand new data coming your way critically important and very exciting for the three out of four women who will experience hot flashes during menopause. Stay tuned for that. But first, a conversation that I hope will not just raise your health IQ, but also raise your spirits. Because there are 10 million people worldwide right now living with Parkinson's and another 10 million are expected to be diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease this year alone. So let's all join together and head into a healthier future and take those first steps right now with Dr. Pooja Agarwal. You are a very busy woman, and so I greatly appreciate you finding the time to speak with us here today. Hello, thank you so much, Chuck. It's my pleasure, and I'll be happy to answer any of your questions. And I'm uh, looking forward to the discussion today. I'm also looking forward to seeing you at the International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine coming up July 15th through the 17th. And a lot of what it is that you and I will be discussing here today is going to be based off of your presentation there. Um, so if you have not yet registered, you can head over to pcrm.org slash ICNM to save your spot today completely online, which means that you can visit the conference from literally anywhere in the world. Um, my first question, Dr. Agarwal, for you is this, and that is how closely related are Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease? 
Um, so both Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease are, I would say, like two most common neurodegenerative disorders for older adults. So yes, they uh, they exist in our society. Uh, we do not have uh, exact cure for both of them. Uh, Alzheimer's disease is more pertaining to the cognitive decline over time uh, and the uh, dementia uh, being present. Uh, Parkinson's disease is more towards the motor decline uh, with Parkinsonian signs being present uh, where there is a bradykinesia or gait disorders associated uh, with, either can be uh, associated with rigidity and tremors as well. Uh, so, so yeah, so broadly there are two main neurodegenerative disorders and uh, we do see uh, quite a overlap sometimes, like people with Alzheimer's disease may have motor uh, decline people with Parkinson's disease can have dementia outcomes. So there's a bit of overlap also. So it's, I would assume then it's, it's not uncommon then in a family who has unfortunately seen a number of members have Alzheimer's. It wouldn't necessarily be so much of a surprise if other family members also developed Parkinson's disease. Would I be correct in assuming that? Um, I wouldn't say like disease as in like diagnosed Parkinson's disease because there is uh, in the community there is and with the medical field there is a discrimination on like how you use the term Parkinson's disease versus, versus Parkinsonian signs having Parkinsonism. So there are different ways of saying things. Uh, so I don't know if there is, and I'm not a clinician to really uh, answer on the diagnosis part, but there can be overlap of cognitive and motor decline uh, variable uh, like outcomes in the population. I think uh, for the most part, our viewers and our listeners are pretty familiar with what cognitive uh, outcome means and, and cognitive decline. But what about motor decline? Are we just talking about the ability to walk here or does it extend beyond that? So the motor decline will be our ability to walk, our overall gait, posture. Uh, then there are like a bit of uh, more dexterities or grip strength uh, through which we can measure it. So there are different ways to put the motor outcome together, uh, as in like uh, how well you can balance also is part of it, uh, then tremors or rigidity in the moment. Uh, and then there are different uh, tests like tandem walk, uh, time up and go, and like different uh, tests which are done clinically or in the research setting to really define these variables. Now let's talk about uh, what you have discovered uh, with the link between nutrition and these diseases. Based off of what it is that you've learned in your research, how big of a role does diet play in perhaps prevention and even slowing decline, uh, both cognitively and from a motor standpoint? So what we have known, and like there are a lot of studies uh, now from population-based uh, cohorts. Uh, when I say population-based cohorts, people have, uh, researchers have looked at group of people and continued longitudinally following them over time and how there has been change in cognitive or motor uh, outcomes in older adults. And a lot of these uh, large cohort studies have found the link between different food groups, uh, different nutrients, and also with different dietary patterns, which are now well 
uh, known or maybe our listeners have heard about it, like Mayan diet, Mediterranean diet, the DASH diet, like these kind of dietary patterns and how they correlate with cognitive and motor decline. So I would say we do have uh, currently good observational studies uh, indicating that there is an association uh, between um, nutrition or what we eat and our cognitive and motor behavior in older age, like as we age. This may be a difficult one to answer, but were you able to discern whether or not there's a stronger link between the cognitive side of things and nutrition and the motor side of things in nutrition, or does diet play an equal role as far as impact on both of those? Um, I think it's a very interesting question, uh, but I would say we have kind of, we're still uh, trying to tease apart like how and what's working for which domain, uh, but more or less probably I sh I'll start with the example of what we have done with the mind diet because uh, at Rush, mind diet um, is what's uh, created at Rush by uh, my late mentor, Dr. Martha Claire Morris and her colleagues. And they were primarily looking at the foods and picking out uh, the foods specifically good for brain and that have been studied over the years and put together this diet score and looked at for its association with cognitive decline. And they found uh, mind diet very well predicts this outcome. And those who were consuming more mind diet had slower cognitive decline and they also had slow, uh, reduced risk of developing Alzheimer's dementia over time. And then we, uh, use the same score to look at the cognitive, out, uh, I mean, uh, motor outcomes, which was Parkinsonian science. And we found like people who were eating the mind diet also had slower uh, progression of Parkinsonian sign and they developed Parkinsonism much uh, later in life. And uh, there is similar kind of study by uh, other group in Canada, which found like people on mind diet had later onset of Parkinson's disease. So, so when we are talking about these two diseases, they are neurodegenerative diseases, uh, definitely related with your brain health. But it's difficult to right now tease apart, like if the nutrient is just affecting one versus both, because I think everything is interrelated. It's it's difficult to tease apart of what's doing what. Again, uh, when we are saying cognitive, some some um, people with mild cognitive impairment have shown like more motor function dysfunctions and stuff. So I think everything is interrelated. It's not just uh, your uh, specific food is hitting one part of the brain. We are still trying to tease apart like mechanisms behind it. So, so maybe just the good diet is not only helping your motor, but cognitive outcomes. And, and we can't uh, forget the fact that diet has been studied so very much over the years for its association with vascular risk factors. And then when vascular risk factors comes in play, they're again associated with cognitive and motor outcomes. So, so there is definitely a lot of um, interplay between uh, overall diet, its effect on our systemic levels or its effect on our overall inflammation and uh, oxidative stress. And then probably uh, that's affecting certain parts of brain that's affecting our vascular health overall, which then in long run affects your cognitive and motor outcomes. I don't know if I summarized it correctly, I mean, enough, but it's, it's like really difficult to say if the 
if oranges are better than apple kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. I got you. Um, here's a, here's a question. We, I, I know that uh, also in your presentation, you're going to be looking at the DASH diet and the Mediterranean diet. Uh, I, for one, am not too familiar yet with what the MIND diet actually is. Can you walk us through what the MIND diet is? Okay, uh, so my diet uh, is a combination, or we can say a hybrid of a Mediterranean and Daesh diet components. So it's uh, basically consists of 15 food components, uh, 10 are healthy food components, which you should be eating more to have a positive effect on uh, cognition. And then there are five unhealthy items which you should be limiting for example, uh, you should be limiting sugars, uh, fats, fast food uh, and fried food, uh, processed um, red meat. And um, so that's that's the five unhealthy components. And then we have 10 healthy components, which we score uh, based on your consumption per week and then assign a score accordingly. So, so I uh, so coming back to what's my diet, my diet is a combination of Mediterranean and DASH diet uh, with specific food components. There is a special emphasis on green leafy vegetables here in the MIND diet, uh, which is not there in Mediterranean DASH. Uh, then another important component of MIND diet is uh, berries and not the overall fruit that's recommended in DASH and Mediterranean. Uh, why berries? Because we do have good evidence on the effect of berries on brain health, primarily because berries are very rich in different bioactives and um, including flavonoids and, uh, and uh, polyphenols, uh, which have shown a good impact, uh, shown to have like major impact on brain health. Uh, and then um, Mind Diet also focuses on um, fish intake, but not as much as in Mediterranean diet, which uh, where the recommendation is having at least more than three servings per week. Mind Diet uh, recommendation is having one serving per week uh, because that one serving of fish has shown enough evidence to have effect on cognitive health. And uh, I think uh, primarily that these will be, I would say, like main differences between Mediterranean Dash and Mind, because Mind is more focused on what's uh, evidence in the literature, specifically for cognitive health. As you would know, Mediterranean Dash was derived more for vascular factors, and then Dash diet is the dietary approach to stop hypertension. So it's more again uh, geared towards um, the vascular factors, but mind was uh, created in uh, where in there was inclusion of food groups, specific food groups like green leafy and berries, uh, which have shown such a positive impact on uh, cognitive outcomes. A great number of our listeners and viewers here eat a strictly plant-based diet. And one of the questions that we've gotten previously is that, well, if fat is so detrimental to health, why then would fish be considered a healthy brain food considering a lot of fish, salmon included, uh, is such a, a fatty food? Uh, yeah, that's again a good question. So when we talk about fat, uh, we have to be really uh, careful on like what type of fat. There is a good fat, we always say there's a good fat and there's a bad fat. 
So uh, again, your trans fatty acids, your saturated fats, they all will come under a bigger category of like bad fats. But there is also a good fat like omega-3 fatty acids. I'm sure like uh, many of the listeners have heard about it. Uh, omega-3 fatty acids are the good fats and fish is very rich in omega-3 fatty acids, specifically a subtype called uh, DHA. Um, which is dihydroxyracodonic acid, like specific, again, specific type of um, omega-3 fatty acid, which is required for the important like brain functioning, like integrity. And we have to also uh, keep in mind that our brain has a lot of lipid. So it, it so the, the membrane has lipids, lipids, when I say lipid kind of fat. So, so our brain does need fat. It's not like, um, we do not require it. It's part of, it's an integral part of brain function. And we do, that's why we do require good fat, which is the omega-3 fatty acid, which consists of EPA and DHA primarily. And, and fish is one of a very good source of this particular fatty acid. That's why it's considered to have a good impact on brain health. What are some others, uh, other sources of those omega-3s that are not necessarily derivatives of fish and would be more in line with the plant-based diet? Because again, a lot of our audience is probably wondering that very question right now. Right. Uh, so, so they can be like vegetarian. I am a vegetarian myself. So uh, when we're saying like plant-based diet, we have to um, also consider that Mediterranean and mine diet and dash also I would consider more plant-based diet because the, the more emphasis is on fruits and vegetables and legumes and nuts rather than uh, the uh, protein and uh, omega-3s coming from other sources. But uh, for omega-3, uh, there are uh, definitely other sources, including, including nuts, uh, specific seeds, and uh, soy. So th there are like a lot of alternative for omega-3s for uh, vegetarians as well. All right. So let's, uh, let's get real nerdy here, Dr. Agarwal. Uh, indulge me here, if you will. Um, we've, we've talked antioxidants. We just mentioned omega-3s. I believe you mentioned polyphenols and flavanol, uh, flavanols a little bit earlier as well. What are the other big nutrients that factored into your research that have shown to have a positive impact as far as cognitive and motor outcomes? Um, I think apart from that, a major, uh, driver is the b vitamins again like coming from different foods uh another major one which is part of antioxidant nutrient is vitamin e uh which is another great source and has shown a good uh evidence on for its role in uh, cognitive and motor decline over time uh, and definitely carotenoids uh carotenoids again are uh the like like a kind of uh, antioxidant we will um, keep it in the category of antioxidant nutrients and a lot of the colored fruits and vegetables are the major source of uh, carotenoids uh, in our diet uh, and so, uh, we have somebody who who wrote in last week on the live show they were asking uh, carotenoids basically should they be looking for orange foods then to uh, to go ahead and get those carotenoids yeah, like I, I, that's what I think one of the mantras which most of the dietitians and the nutritionists say, like, tell everybody to follow is like have a colorful plate. 
put all the colors on your plate. So uh, just try and grab uh, colorful fruits and vegetables and like try to include as many as you can because all these like hot, like even the beets, like even the purple color or the pink color, they will have like specific carotenoids. And like, for example, greens have a lot of lutein, which is another important uh, type of carotenoids, which have shown good evidence for its role in brain health. So yeah, try to be colorful on your plate. <laughs> well, here's a question for you. Uh, and uh, one that just kind of popped in my head right now. Would you say, and obviously I'm going to preface this by saying that they both have remarkable health benefits, but would you say that in terms of our discussion today, is it possible to say whether fruits or vegetables play a bigger role? Can you even break that down? Yes. So that has been broken down in some of the studies on like fruits versus vegetables. So there are like other studies from uh, not only our group, but from other group, um, including nurses health study and health professional follow-up studies, uh, like the bigger cohorts, which have really looked at the effect of fruits and vegetables and looked at them separately for its effect on cognitive health. And primarily uh, the, the results are more uh, robust for vegetable intake rather than fruit intake. Like fruit had kind of mixed findings and some of the studies have found only some um, positive associations with cross-sectional findings like fruit uh, associated with cognitive function, but not maybe as much with the decline. So there is no report on like fruits association with cognitive decline, but there is a strong report, like uh, overall good evidence on vegetables and primarily the green leafy vegetables for its effect. And uh, there is also some evidence on cruciferous vegetables and cognitive decline. So I would say when we're comparing fruits and vegetables, for vegetables, we have more stronger uh, evidence. But from uh, like the overall food category, there is more um, evidence coming from berries, definitely. So we have uh, blueberries and strawberries and raspberries, like all the berry category has shown evidence, but not like when putting fruit all together as one uh, thing. I mean, there are a few reports on fruit juices here and there, but not that robust, I would say, compared to vegetables. Uh, at the berries, I, I think it, it has to go back to those antioxidants you were talking right. about earlier, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, mm -hmm. I'll tell you, you know, speaking, going back to things, it always goes back to green leafy vegetables with these types of studies too, doesn't it? Those things are nutritional powerhouses. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, let's, let's talk a little bit more about this research. Okay. So uh, we talked about the mind diet. You also looked at the Mediterranean and dash diets here. Um, what, what did you find as far as their effectiveness compared to the mind diet? Um, so uh, in our study specifically, we kind of tried looking at both the three diet scores like um, simultaneously. And uh, statistically, we tried to compare the standardized betas, like standardized effect sizes, I would, you would say in scientific terms. And uh, we found like specifically for mind diet, those who were consuming moderate and high uh, mind diet were having good effect like overall had reduced um, risk of Alzheimer's dementia. But uh, when we are looking at Mediterranean scores or the DASH scores, there were uh, this effect was evident only in those with high adherence. 
So like probably a take home um, uh, message from that paper, that particular paper, Dr. Morris's paper from 2015, uh, which was uh, published in Alzheimer's and Dementia was um, even like a moderate too high adherence of mind diet may reduce the risk of Alzheimer's dementia. Whereas for Mediterranean DASH, we found only the highest adherence uh, was associated with reduced risk. I'm curious for these studies, did you also factor in things like exercise and getting adequate amounts of sleep? So for the study, we do have physical activity in our model. Uh, also with the, the study on Parkinsonian signs uh, and antioxidant nutrients, we did include the, um, so we have uh, physical activity and we, for cognitive outcomes, we also include the cognitive activities, uh, late life cognitive activities people have been engaging in because that's another uh, lifestyle uh, factor which has been found to be associated with cognitive outcomes. But we do not have uh, sleep in our model specifically. I think that's another area we're still developing, I would say. And let me ask you this. Okay, so there's no question that you and I, we live in a fast food obsessed nation. It seems like you can't go a single street or one block without seeing a McDonald's or a Burger King, a Chick-fil-A, whatever the case may be. If everybody, let's say not everybody, let's say someone, uh, is doing really well. They eat healthy for breakfast. They eat healthy for lunch. Um, they're exercising. Okay. But then every night on their way home, they stop at the drive-thru and let's say that their vice is that Big Mac and fries. So if they eat healthy the majority of time, but still have that fast food once a day, you know, what does that do in terms of their risk for developing either Alzheimer's uh, or Parkinson's disease here? Uh, so that is a good question, and I think that's an important message also to be uh, given to everybody. Like, okay, I'm consuming good food, but then there, it is important that we also limit our unhealthy options. Uh, because in one of the recent studies we did, we found that those who were consuming more of these kind of unhealthy food items, they were uh, like categorized as more of the Western diet, uh, had did not have the impact of their uh, good food, which they were eating. So overall, what you're eating uh, does impact uh, like whatever bad you're, I, I'm, I'm using the word bad, but it's again, like just a, a like, not not really bad, but considered unhealthy, uh, will be like more fried food, sugar food, and uh, that kind of westernized diet. So consuming westernized kind of diet was uh, attenuating the beneficial effect of all the good food that the people were eating in this group. And uh, this shows that there's something happening. There is there is this interaction, or there is uh, some interaction happening, definitely with between the good and the bad food in our diet. Uh, so we have to. It is important that we have to limit how much of unhealthy items you can eat. So that's why the mind diet recommendation, for example, is like just limit your um, fried food intake to less than or equal to once a week. So, so let's not do it so regularly that you are diminishing the effect of all the other good foods you have had in your breakfast, lunch. So in the, if you want to eat it in dinner, just probably make it once a week rather than just grabbing it every day. 
Um, so, so, so there is a, there is this study we have done, and uh, probably I'll be expanding more about the results in the upcoming conference. But that's definitely that's something we found um, had a robust effect, like the bad food had on the good food. Oh boy! All right, now that is something definitely to look forward to, and that conference is coming up July fifteenth through the seventeenth. And you can save your spot right now by visiting pcrm.org/icnm. Reserve your spot today. And by the way, if you use promo code EXAMROOM, all one word, you can save fifty dollars off the cost of registration right now. So pcrm.org/icnm to reserve your seat. And Dr. Agarwal, I know you're going to be diving, as you just said, a lot deeper into science. There, one of the other things. That you're going to be covering um and we're not going to go into this now because we have to save something for the conference uh you're also going to be looking at emerging research on pre and probiotics and gut health in terms of alzheimer's and parkinson's disease as well so this is a uh, all very fascinating and i just i can't wait to sit down and watch the entire presentation uh, yeah i think that's another area which is developing i said like uh this nutrition neurodegenerative disease area is definitely very interesting and still developing. And one of the aspects uh, which is uh, people are like different groups all across the world are looking at is the gut brain excess. So they say like the food we eat affect your gut, affect your microbiota, uh, affect your uh, like overall diversity in microbiome and might uh, and have an impact on brain health. So these are the new um, areas of research uh, where people are delving in and try and like every day there are every day there are like new answers and interesting um, things we are discovering uh, related to this. And so probably one of the mechanism through which a healthy diet is working or helping your brain possibly can be through gut. Don't you just love your job being able to study this day in and day out? Like, isn't that just fascinating? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, lo I love what I do. And I think uh, all these interesting questions just make me get up every day and work more harder and like look deeper. And we are also trying to delve into more mechanisms, which is a lot more exciting. And I guess uh, probably one of the few centers. Uh, so, so I work at Alzheimer's Disease Center. And I think we are uniquely placed to really study the effect of nutrition on brain uh, because we have these studies where we are collecting brains at the end of life. So we're going to like tease apart. So we know what they ate in their lifetime. And now after uh, uh, postpartum, I mean, we are looking at their brains and trying to link if there is an association with Alzheimer's disease pathology or something else in their brain. So we are trying to also establish the mechanisms link, which really expand and further um, define or um, really like say how, how a diet might be affecting overall brain health. So that's really exciting. So yes, I do love my job. <laughs> Look, it's it's exciting, it's fascinating, but most of all, it's important work that is going to go toward improving the quality of life for so many millions of people worldwide and their family members, their loved ones as well. And so that's why I'm so grateful for everything that it is that you are doing and also for taking the time to join us here today. This has been an absolutely fascinating conversation. 
thanks so much Jacques. it was a pleasure to be here uh, and i think i'll be talking more about this in the presentation and the upcoming conference so stay tuned and uh, it was great talking to you and thanks for your time too Dr. Agarwal will be doing a far deeper dive into her research at this year's International Conference on Nutrition in Medicine. The conference is running July 15th through the 17th and will be available on demand for a while after that even. So it's not too late to sign up. And the cool thing about ICNM is that Dr. Agarwal is just one of about 30 leading voices on health and nutrition who will be coming together to present the latest fact and evidence-based nutrition science. We are talking about credible information here. We're not talking about something that your grandma heard from somebody in church. We're not talking about something that your friends saw on Twitter. We're not talking about your third cousin twice removes nutrition advice that they saw on Instagram. No, this is the real deal. Credible research guaranteed to raise your health IQ. And you've actually heard a lot of the feature presenters on the show recently. And this is your opportunity to get even more of that research. Go more in depth. PCRM.org slash ICNM is the website that you need to visit in order to register and use the code examroom to save $50. And because the conference is online this year, you can literally join it from anywhere in the world. And I do hope to see you there. Let's head now to the exam room news desk. A new study is offering hope for relief from uncomfortable and often unbearable hot flashes that occur during menopause. It turns out that a plant-based diet that is rich in soy can reduce moderate to severe hot flashes by 84%. The promising findings come from a study by the Physicians Committee. For 12 weeks, a group of women ate a plant-based diet that included soy, and according to researchers, the average number of hot flashes each day fell from 5 to less than 1. And nearly 60% of women who participated in the study say not only did they have fewer hot flashes, they stopped having them altogether. The study is published in the journal Menopause. We'll be doing a series of shows on this study. It's called the WAVE study. And you'll hear many of those study participants, the women who went through this and experienced those changes firsthand. You'll also hear from Dr. Neil Barnard, who helped lead the research, and other experts, including Dr. Christy Cobb. Stay tuned for that in the coming weeks. But today's show was about Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease and the incredible research that is being done on them. It's research that's offering all of us hope for the future. And that is why I am so honored that this episode of The Exam Room is made possible by today's dietitian and today's geriatric medicine. Today's dietitian is the leading independent source for news, information, and research for registered dietitians and nutrition professionals. And today's geriatric medicine provides important, relevant, and timely content for geriatric physicians and the entire geriatric care team. 
Learn more about these trusted and respected publications at todaysdietitian.com and todaysgeriatricmedicine.com. Visit and subscribe today. And for today, that's all the time that we have. I want to say thank you one more time to Dr. Pooja Agarwal for joining us. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based. <laughs>